Um, so he's like one ply toilet paper. And I was like, I was like, no, dude, that's what's wrong with enterprise software. <laughs> hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Retro Time Pie. Actually, hold on. I'm going to fix this. Hold on. Do it. <laughs> Sorry, you're doing great. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the very first episode of 2024. Wait a minute. Hold on. What was I going to say? <laughs> well, this episode, Retro Time Podcast. I'm Jeremy. Oh, and then you said I'm Derek. And then yeah. I think that was... Did we, did we more than yeah, that? Yeah, and then I said, hey, man, what the hell is up with you? How, how's your mom and them? You said shit like that. All right. <clears throat> All right. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to a long overdue first episode of 2024 episode of the Retro Time Podcast. I'm Jeremy. We're back, baby. I'm Derek. Oh, you're Derek. Okay, I was like, who are you again? Uh, yeah, Derek, back, it's baby. been so long, I almost forgot your name. <laughs> I'm here, baby. I'm here. <laughs> here he is, Derek. Oh, man, it's been a long time. I actually, funny story about being a long time. Uh, two weeks, no, a month ago. Two months ago, a month ago. I can't even remember how long ago it was. It was, it was a while ago. We were supposed to hang out with our buddy Nate and our old buddy Matt and our old buddy Doug, friend of the show, Doug Poirier. Uh, mm-hmm. And and you were supposed to hang out. And uh, we had some stuff. Kids were sick. We couldn't hang out. But uh, old Matt Landry was in town from New Orleans. And I said, I'm not letting you go home without hanging out with you. So me, Matt, and uh, and old Doug Poirier, we all hung out. And uh, it's funny. I was uh, – Doug was like, where's my episode? <laughs> He's like, I've been listening to the he same needs- damn episodes on repeat. Where's my name? He, he, he fiends for him. Look, I, I hang out with him. I play board games with him. We play basketball together, Doug Poirier and I. Um, <laughs> so funny. Every time he listens to the episode, he's like, he's probably like, why do they talk about me so much? Um, uh, no. You know, well, here's number one fan. You know, we talked about that, actually. Um, we talked about that. Uh, he loves yeah. the shouts out, shout outs. And uh, we, you and I, I can't remember a few months ago, last time we recorded, I can't remember. We were talking about old uh, our old buddy Matt Landry and how he, he does not like the shout outs. Yeah, uh, turns out he does like the shoutouts, Derek, and he. Oh wants more damn! <laughs> so, oh, dude, we got to tell a little Matt story every single um, episode near the end. Yeah. So anyway, Matt Landry, shout out to you, friend of the show, old Doug Poirier, friend of the show. What's up, y'all? Biggest fans, our two right on, biggest right fans. On. I got to hang out with our two biggest fans <laughs> in one room. <laughs> all we were missing was you, Derek. We didn't have you. That's damn shame. It's damn shame. It's all right. Matt Landry's in town right now. You know that, right? Oh, I saw him. I saw him in oh, person. Oh, that's right. Y'all still I was in a meeting with him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. So I guess people listening, uh, it's been a while since we recorded. I've, I got laid off, so I don't work there anymore. But you do. And then Matt came back, so Matt's there now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, I'm the only one who doesn't work there anymore. <laughs> oh, well. What are you going to do? You know what? It's for the best. Um, Derek. Yes, sir. <laughs> I wanted to say something. Normally, when you come on these on these things with me, um, you're normally wearing a Saints sweatshirt or a yeah. Pelican sweatshirt. But today, you were wearing a Cincinnati Bengals sweatshirt, which I just want to point out for everybody listening back at home. <laughs> he's got his, he's got a Saints hat on now. Everybody listening back at home, Derek is officially a Cincinnatian. Is that what you would call someone from Cincinnati? Uh, I think he's got it's his a Cincinnati Bengals. hole. His natty hole. He's no. got uh, <laughs> straight from the natty hole. Uh, his his Cincinnati sweatshirt represent his new hometown, and also his uh, Saints hat. Yeah, I put my Saints hat on. You know, you gotta represent that too. You know. <laughs> gotta represent. All right, so that's fun. So, Derek, what have you been up to, man? It's been some time. Our listeners haven't heard from either of us in probably a couple months. Took a little break. 
what have you been up to, man? Anything new? I've been chilling. Still up to my old antics. I did hurt my knee. Did you hear about my knee? Oh, no, you did hear about knee? my knee. I got a bone bruise. A bone bruise? I didn't know bones. A bone bruise. bruise. You ever watch? You ever? You ever see when uh, a professional athlete gets injured and they say, "Up, oh, it's a leg contusion." Uh, that's what no, I, I don't have. watch enough sports. <laughs> I got a contusion. And you know what they said? Oh god, that they sounds said, uh, it sounds bad. It sounds painful. Nah, it's not as bad as it seems. It just takes a long time and it hurts. Uh, it takes a long time to heal. But I was uh, I was playing basketball with these youngins, right? These young boys. And one of them comes at me. Boom. Hits me real hard in my knee. It's it hurt real bad. And I was like, I'm a I'm a real tough guy, so I tried to play. Couldn't walk. Couldn't walk. The guy's just running around like a gazelle, like nothing happened. This 22-year-old dumb-dumb. Oh, kids, um, man. Sweet kids. guy. Watch out. He might be listening. Sweet guy. You think that guy listens to the show? Oh, big fan. I'm sure he's a big fan. <laughs> he looked me up right after. He was like, wow, I got. I need more of this guy. No. I don't, I, they don't pass to me. They don't. You know, it's just, it's kind of, it's kind of a dreary situation when I go play basketball. Are I you... have to like, I have to like get a rebound to, to, uh, to uh-huh. play. Are you like the old guy that just sort of shows up? Unannounced. <laughs> I'm not like the old guy that shows up. I am the old guy the that old shows guy. up. I am him. <laughs> this um, is this is, ain't no uh, ain't no simile here. I, I think am. they appreciate the uh, gusto. I think that's. Yeah. I'm just trying to give give the best of what I got. You know what I mean? I love it, Derek. Um, so I mentioned we were hanging out, Doug Poirier, Matt Landry, and I. Mm. And Matt Landry had an incredible analogy that I just want to talk about for a minute. Let's talk about it. I don't even know how we got on this topic. But we started talking about one ply toilet paper, and you know Matt. Matt Matt was talking about how one ply toilet paper is like the fall of. You could tell capitalism is on its on its down downward trajectory because one ply toilet paper sells so well, and clearly something is wrong with with um, with the, with the country. Um, and I started thinking about it, and I was like, you know, <laughs> I think one ply toilet paper is a good analogy for one ply toilet paper is enterprise software, right? You think about it. Yeah. <laughs> so one ply toilet. No, who likes one ply toilet paper? Nobody likes one ply toilet Nobody. paper. It's, it's, it's thin. It's rough. It hurts. You got to use half a roll, you know. But yuck. One ply toilet paper. It's it's ubiquitous. It's in every institutional toilet. I would say across the world. I don't know if I've ever been in an institutional bathroom that had two ply toilet paper ever in my life. Probably. I think I have either. So the question is, if nobody likes it, why is it so ubiquitous? It's a good question. And, and did the you reason guys talk about it. Yeah, oh, interesting. <laughs> and the reason is because the people who pay for the one ply toilet paper aren't the ones who have to use those bathrooms. Ooh. <laughs> All those the one percenters are in their own little private bathrooms. They don't ever use the public bathrooms. So it's interesting. It's funny. It's like, it's just like, it, it reminds me so much of enterprise software where so often people that, you know, have to, they're stuck using this awful enterprise software. They have no choice. No one asked them if they wanted to use it. They didn't get a say in one, you know, one, one tool or another. Somebody just gave it to them <laughs> and goodness, they have no say. And the, but the, the funny thing, the, not the funny thing, the sad thing, I guess, is that the people who generally have to pay for this or the people who generally pay for this enterprise software are mm-hmm. very rarely are they the ones who actually have to use it, right? It's just uh, yeah. let the peons deal with it. 
And the question is, as a software team, nobody wants to build one-ply toilet paper, right? The the people ordering one-ply toilet paper at these institutions, they don't want to order one-ply toilet paper. But that's what they are told to do. So the question is, how do you... How do you deliver two-ply toilet paper on a one-ply budget, right? How, how do you get a software team to care enough about the software that they're building so they don't deliver one-ply toilet paper? Instead, they're delivering a two-ply experience. You know, that Charmin. You go to the store and you see the Charmin with the 16 rolls in one and it's the double strength, extra soft. How do you deliver that on a one-ply budget? That's the big question I have for you. You ever thought about that? I'm curious if that's something you've ever ever cross your mind what do you think yes believe it or not i've thought about this um yeah while you're on the toilet uh, or... i was on the toilet yeah just looking <laughs> around i had two options the one ply no i'm just kidding no <laughs> yeah, just... uh, so i <laughs> um in order to be in order to improve an organization so they see those one ply projects as sort of we don't want to be associated with those things anymore is honestly we have to make two ply the only viable option Mm. and to do that you need a a few things need to be improved one is visibility into what systems are being used how they're being used Mm. And empathy. The thing that's lacking between those ivory tower, whoever they are, who who just gives people garbage and underfunds projects and the people doing the hard work. That's right. You know, so I think it's a lot of it has to do with making all the roads line up so that even someone who has never seen your project before, your enterprise – Makes mm-hmm. the right choices, you uh, know, make all the only options, the good ones, I think is, is like, to me, like the only way to get there. What do yeah, you think? I love that. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, that's, that's definitely up, up there for me. And what's interesting, I just heard you say empathy. That's maybe the first time I've heard a software engineer <laughs> use the term empathy. Although I know you, said you, it. well, I know you, you, yeah. you, 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 I, maybe I'm running, maybe I'm rubbing off on you, Derek. I don't know. Maybe I, I like to think I'm rubbing off on you a little bit. That little UX, you got a little UX in you, Derek. Watch out. Your UX is showing. Um, little but bit, yeah, I, I think, I, I think that's uh, kind of an interesting thing is the empathy is feeling for these people. And I think that's, that's the thing with the difference between enterprise software and commercial software is it's, there's an incentive to, deliver a better thing a better customer experience because if we don't they'll pick the next best brand or the next brand that's a little bit better and with enterprise there really is it's 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 like communism almost right like you you think about it you you go to the the in soviet russia you get whatever soviet the soviet government produces and you have no say right um, but you know, there, there wasn't a lot of empathy. There it was like, you're, you know, the proletariat will do whatever the proletariat needs to do. And if they don't, we'll put them in a gulag. <laughs> um, and I, I think like that's, it's something to, how do you get that empathy? I think is like a big question for me. Like, how do you make people see that what we're delivering is, is subpar and actually painful? Um, and what, it's interesting. Cause I, I feel like there's a balance though. It's like, 
it's like, yeah, you know, are you really going to be able to get deliver the Charmin experience on a one ply budget? I don't know, maybe not, but you could certainly, you know, get past like some of that really bad <laughs> one ply toilet paper that's basically like, you know, so thin you could blow on it and it'll like break in half. Um, maybe yeah. you could just do like thicker one ply or or a softer one ply or, or something, and maybe you know you'll never have the budget for two, but you may have a budget for a better one. Um, and I think like if the software team really cares, that's, that's the thing, like you mentioned empathy and I I do feel like that's really it. If, if the team doesn't care and doesn't have any reason to improve, it won't ever improve. Yeah. You know, it's just like the, the, the sort of feature factory, you know, whatever we're building, I don't care. I'm, I heard somebody the other day say retire in place. They use the term retire in place. Um, where they just sort of like get a paycheck. You and I, I think our second episode ever, Derek, about retro time, maybe even the first episode was about that. Um, just sort of that checking out. And um, that's a big thing. It's like, I've, I've always wondered with that. And when I, when I led UX teams and stuff, my, my, my big thing was trying to get the software team to care about what we're building, you know, so they wanted to build better software. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't cost necessarily it doesn't cost more to make better quality software, right? Money necessarily. Yeah. You could pay someone 40 hours a week to make shit or you could pay someone 40 hours a week to make something worthwhile. The question is how do you get them to not want to build the junk and want to build something worthwhile? You know what I mean? That's really hard to I, do I, though, especially in enterprise software. You know, it's funny you're – talking about this and you bring this topic up uh, at a time after I listened to a podcast from ThoughtWorks about mm. empathetic communication. ThoughtWorks, um, we had uh, Artie Karai on the show. What was that? Last we year did have Artie Karai on the show. Right. Uh, there was another lady that came on the show. I wanted to mention that you said this earlier. She was like, she might have told us this offline and I hope it, I hope it's not, wasn't like in confidence, but she was like, I was like, so, uh, she was like, there's a lot of cynical uh, podcasts out there. And he, she goes, and you guys are one of them. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, she didn't say that. Like, who was that? I can't remember. I'm who like, said I'm, that we're not us. cynical. Everything just sucks. Um, yeah. well, who said yeah, I that? Forget was who that, that uh... I forget that was. After that, I, 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 uh, I put her out of my mind. <laughs> no. Uh, Never go but, on a podcast and insult the host. But, but the I, think podcast... she, I don't think she was insulted yet. No, no, she wasn't at all. I think she was just letting us know not to be, uh, not to be so dreary all the time. I think that was Dagna. Um, uh, Dagna, Dagna. yes, it yeah. was Dagna. Yeah, um, great guest, by the way. Answered our questions. Great guest. She's wonderful. Still and follow her. Really LinkedIn. cheered us up. Really yeah. cheered us up. Um, what makes you care? I've thought about this a lot because there have been periods in my career where I've had to force myself to care because it's part of my job and I'm a professional and professionals care. And where it came so easy. I didn't, I couldn't distinguish work from play. That's how fun the job was to do. And we were doing it at such a high clip, such a high level. And we looked back at that and we couldn't believe we were building stuff that good at that, of that quality. And I think when I look back at those times, it's when, Everybody in the room, myself, other people, they felt heard. They felt like they could communicate. They felt like their ideas mattered. They felt like mm -hmm. good ideas were being put on the table. They were asked what was going on. Things were clarified. And 
that empathetic communication podcast was a lot about, hey, there are people on your team. If you want people to write things down, there are people that don't feel comfortable writing things down. Here's some techniques mm. you can use to help them. Speech to text, then AI fixes it. You know, there's like, there was a lot of practical, great stuff. We should link that in the show notes. Um, yeah, dude. Because it was a really practically helpful uh, thing. And it really, it really got me on the empathy train. And we've been preaching communication on this podcast since 70 episodes ago, maybe 80. Oh, since the beginning. Since the very beginning. It's been very the big beginning. thing. But I think that communication by itself will not improve an organization. Empathetic communication will. Yeah. Because if I feel like you're listening to me, you feel like I'm listening to you, that's good. You get it. But when you feel like you can you can really share what you're doing and, and how you feel about a situation, 100%, and you're getting hurt, and you're, you're communicating it like exactly how it's in your brain – it's great. So that's that's uh, yeah. basically how you make people yeah. care, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think it goes back and this is like like the first step is is the relationships part, right? Like I, this is something we've said for a long time, you can't build great software without great relationships and you can't build empathy without a relationship. Because if we yeah. don't have a relationship, I have nothing to empathize with. Mhm. You know, like you're just a, a name on a spreadsheet or you're a name in an email or a name on a on a on a Teams meeting or something, right? Like, I don't know what you care about. I don't know what matters to you. I don't know how you feel about something if you and I don't talk somewhat regularly, at least, <laughs> and, and, and help, or, and, and that helps kind of me understand you better. And I know, you know, you care about this versus that or, or whatever. And, you know, remote work, I think since the pandemic has made that a lot harder because it takes a lot more effort now when we're all remote. To yeah. reach out to somebody and have a conversation, to meet them and, and understand and talk. Whereas before, I could just be in the break room randomly eating lunch and I happen to start up a conversation. You know, if we're remote, that never happens unless someone actively reaches out and pings you and starts a conversation. You know, we, you miss a lot of that sort of random random hallway chatter that you could just sort of drop in on and start talking and hear, you know, hear things. and. You know, we, we've talked about this, like having crap on your desk. Like I could see, oh, you like this or, oh, you like Legos or, oh, you like this, this cool stuff. You like Star Wars. Me too. You know, you don't like see that stuff anymore when people are just remote. Um, you know, it's kind of one of the reasons why I like, I like putting my camera on. Not everybody likes this, but this again goes back to the, like, like you mentioned before, some people don't like to do that stuff. Some people don't like to put their camera on. Some people don't feel comfortable doing that. So it's like, it's all about knowing your team. And I think that's something that, that's really important. And so like part of empathy and, and, and going back to this idea of getting people to want to build better software, there's a quote, I, I know I've told you this quote like a million times, Anton de Saint-Exupéry quote about building a ship. You know, if you want to build a ship, you don't, you don't just find a bunch of people and bark out orders and hand them hammers and wood and say, go build a ship. You, you have to get the people together and you make them long for the vast and endless sea, Right. And like, how do you know how to get someone to long for the vast and endless sea if you don't know them, <laughs> you know, if you don't know what they care about? You can't just like, if, you know, you care about something and you try to, oh, I care about this and blah, blah, blah. And then they couldn't care less. You're never going to get them to long for the vast and endless sea. But if you know what their passions are and what they care about, you could speak to that. And while you speak to that, you know, influence them to long for the vast and endless sea in some other way. Right. And 
I think that's something that goes along with this. If you and this is something I tried really hard to do when we were working together was get people to care about the the users and and speak to that thing that they care about, whether that was security or ease of use or you know lack of bugs or just generally human you know connections and caring about people because you want them to have an easier day at work or whatever it is you're still spending 40 hours a week working <laughs> you know it's just like how do you get them to build something better in the same amount of time and the same amount of budget by taking a little bit extra effort or thinking about what well, actually i just thought of this but planning ahead you know yeah making sure you're planning what you're going to build before you start running and going and building it often will produce a better result than just randomly building stuff just to build stuff without any thought into what you're going to do with it later, Mm -hmm. which I think happens a lot in enterprise, like feature factory, we'll just build a bunch of crap. And honestly, maybe even commercial software happens too, but I don't know. I just, I'm curious what you think about that. I feel like that's, that's kind of my thought on it. I don't know. I talked a lot, but yeah, you know, the, any, any people doing anything, uh, that, that, it needs to be of a certain quality so that someone can do a job or be happy with the product, which pretty much describes anything, you know. Uh, if you if you have good relationships with the people that you're working with and you have empathy for them as they change and things you may not know about them and their communication, it's one of the reasons why I think toxic elements in your organization are so detrimental so if you have someone in your team that that prevents relationships (laughs) from building or prevents empathy or has no empathy i think that's why those things because those are the bedrock and we we talked about this on other shows My, my my view on that is you know they need to be kind of it needs to be explained to them. I have more patience now with people. I used to be like, get rid of them. Who needs them? <laughs> um, but I have more patience with people now because I understand that people go through a lot of different things. Um, and, you know, who knows why people are not empathetic. But, but that's that not the empathy. only. That's interesting yeah. too, Derek, because that goes back to empathy. That's having empathy for other yeah. people. Just because you don't like how they act doesn't mean you should have empathy for them. Like maybe they're having a bad day. Maybe they that's their culture. You know, we work with a we i say we what have you done you, to me you work <laughs> you work <laughs> with a big company with big people all over the world with different cultures and they were all brought up in in different ways that weren't exactly like what we think of as the right quote unquote right and proper way to conduct themselves at work and it doesn't mean they're bad jeremy people. i have i have uh i have something to admit i have a confession oh, watch out. i'm starting to wonder maybe there aren't any knuckleheads really there really aren't <laughs> I think there are still some knuckleheads, dude. <laughs> Here's the thing: I we see people, like we see people as knuckleheads because they are their incompetence is causing me problems. Mm-hmm. Why are they un- incompetent? Why do I see them that way? I'm starting to realize the people I work with. I was getting frustrated for years. Why don't you see things the way I do? Why can't you see this obvious way to see this problem? And then I'm starting to realize, like, my, you know, my, you know, people's brains work differently. Let's just say that. And certain people's brains have high levels of executive function. Certain people's brains don't. Those things never change. They function, their environment is changed. Now we get, they get up in my grill 
and start causing me trouble. That's when you get in the knuckle puck territory, okay? Knuckle pucks. That's when you knuckle puck. There are knuckle pucks because they're going out of that way to cause me trouble. (laughs) Um, No, I'm just kidding. So I think that the being empathetic toward even the most incompetent bumbling person you work with, if they have that empathy and they have that – if they have their ability to build relationships, I think you got a shot. And we talked about this before. This isn't changed. But you might be able to turn a knucklehead into a Flip stallion. Around. Flip him around. Maybe that knucklehead is just a horse stallion on its back. Just needs mm. a flip. Got to flip it around. Is a knucklehead a stallion on its back? Is a knucklehead a stallion on its back because the little feet are like knuckles? Who knows? I don't know. No. But you can't build great software with just good feelings, Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> that's true you also have even to just have good intentions even just good intentions no right? you can't do yeah. that you gotta have focus you gotta have a reason yeah. you're doing what you're doing you're saying how do you build one two ply software serious focus serious vision clear vision unwavering vision unless the external forces on your organization force it yeah. to change and the people in your organization need skill or they need to be skilled up to the point where they can actually have solutions that are incredible to solve the problems toward the vision. And if yeah. they get along and if they're empathetic toward each they don't even have to get along. Just be empathetic. Yeah. We don't all have I to think, be buddies. We don't. Yeah, that's true. That's very you know? true. You, you don't I mean, have look to at be us. buddies to be empathetic. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, like, right. like there, there are people in your team that I would never want to get a beer with. There are people right. on my team that I would have no interest in hanging out with at a party. <laughs> yeah. But they're still great people and they're still really nice. And, you know, generally speaking, I, I think people – I like I like to assume positive intent. There are certainly, I think, those knuckleheads out there or, or maybe we'll call them knuckle pucks yeah. that, um, you know, are just genuinely maybe sour people that you probably just are, are you know, malicious maybe or actively trying to undermine people. I, there are people out there for sure. But I don't think that's the majority. Yeah. And I like to assume we'll positive. Just because people that. aren't doing yeah. it. I think there's a lot of people out there in your team too. And this is something I think about. Like I th- like, let's say you got an enterprise software team with a bunch of people who are just checked out doing whatever because they kind of feel like whatever they, they – maybe they tried to do something and it didn't work out. So they were like, screw it. I'm not, I'm not going to bother you. You know, I'm not going to bother you. You just tell me what to do and I'll do it. Maybe they just want someone to come in and kind of like – encourage them a little bit and show them that it's okay to kind of try a little harder and it, you know, um, and I think, I think a lot of people out there, if, if you just try on your team and you see that you're building one ply toilet paper and, and you feel like it could be better, what if you tried, <laughs> what if you, what if you made the effort? What if you tried to get your team to see that what you're building could be better? Maybe it would work. You know, you'd, you'd I think you'd be surprised if how many allies you might have if you just put the effort the the thing that I think is hard though is when this is a leadership problem. Mm-hmm. That's a lot harder yeah. for the software team to really do much about when the leadership team is apathetic and doesn't care, and the leadership team clearly has no interest in making anything better. Um, I, I think that's the hard part, you know, and that's much harder for an individual contributor, especially on a software team, to really make much change. Um, I think there are ways you could do it. <laughs> the question is, is it worth it? And would you are you better off, you know, just keeping the status quo and just, you know, finding another job where you can build better stuff? I, I don't know. Um, I think everybody's 
everybody's solution is going to be different there. But I think at the end of the day, a lot of this is a leadership problem where the leadership doesn't know what their teams are building. I don't think, again, when the leadership team, I don't think anyone's actively saying, build the worst possible thing you can. <laughs> you know, I think more yeah. often than not, the leadership team has no idea what the teams beneath them are actually delivering. Yeah. And some middle manager is probably blowing smoke up their ass, telling them that it's like the best thing ever. Um, you know, probably because there are certain incentives for them to for them to function that way. Again, I don't think it's because they're they're trying to manipulate anybody, but there's probably incentives. You know, that the reason why they're doing it, which again I think goes back to a leadership problem, right? Those incentives mm-hmm. are there because the leadership put those incentives in place. And I think when when teams end up building junk like that, um, you know, I think that's I think it's ultimately a leadership problem. You know, I don't know. That's yeah, kind of I, my thought. I I think that. You know, I've thought about this recently, and I had to talk with my manager about this. I'm now realizing I should not have said this. I said, you know, one thing that's that that has Cut helped me. One thing, no, no, it's fine. One thing that's helped me understand and come to terms with my role in my organization is just to understand it's not a democracy. It's not. And we live our whole lives in a, you know, depending on where you live, you know, right now, of course, a lot of things are going on around the world. But I live in the United States of America. It's a free state. It's a free country. You can say what you want. You know, you you have the ability to vote out your leaders. And you can't do that at your job. (laughs) Right. Imagine a world. Imagine a world. Think of your boss. Imagine a world where you can vote him out with your team and Mm. vote in a replacement. Imagine how. (laughs) Yeah, right. Um, but that's the thing when, when (laughs) leaders model behavior that is self-serving is, is lacks vision, lacks focus, lacks empathy, and lacks the ability to build relationships. Mm -hmm. What do you have? You have that relationship modeled down the line as well. Like you can, you cannot have vision for the whole product and, and, and you as a leader can be like, but I need you to build a vision. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, where, what's yours? You, right. This is not a democracy. Like, right. you know, what do you mean? Do I, but I have to influence you. He's like, but mm-hmm. I don't have a vision. Right. And I, well, you're I supposed think that, to. I think That's that the problem. is even a leadership problem. Like, I mean, if, if you if you have a team that's just building crap to build crap because the incentive is to produce as much lines of code as you can or, or release as many things as you can in a quarter or, you know, spend as many hours or have as many butts and seats or whatever that, you know, incentive ends up being, even if it's unspoken, even if it's just like implied that like, oh, the people who always produce the most junk end up getting the most promotion. So I'm going to go produce the most junk. You know, I'm going to produce more junk than you because that's how mm. you get promoted around here. Then that's also you know a leadership problem, but I, I think that's like to me not having a vision is a leadership problem. Not having a strategy is a leadership problem. Not realizing that your team is building junk because you don't have a strategy or a plan or a vision is a leadership problem. You know, there's like so much of that that I see in giant corporations, yeah. especially. Like it blows my mind how little vision some of these leaders have when. They could be building amazing stuff with the amount of money that is spent, <laughs> the millions and millions of dollars every year, and they are building 
less than one ply toilet paper. I mean, they are building like barely even like a leaf, <laughs> you know, like they're building junk. And it's like for the amount of money that you spent, you could get the freaking Charmin double strong, extra soft toilet paper that you like get the tickles three your butt while you wipe. You know what I mean? Yeah. Man. <laughs> you can get three seashells <laughs> for the price that you're spending and you are delivering absolute junk. It blows my mind, man. I, you know, and and I don't know. I just... Uh, it's 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 unheart it's just, it's disheartening for sure to see that um but i feel like if more people on the team you know cuz it's i think there's a top down piece for this for sure but there's also a bottom up piece where if if you know we you talked about democracy like it's not necessarily a vote but if it's a good team they should be gauging the sentiment of their team of their of their uh, employees, you know, like when we our, our old place or where we used to work, we we had a, a quarterly or yearly employee poll. Like, how do you feel like the organization is running? And and I think they did a pretty pretty in theory at least on at least they sounded like they did listening. They did a good job listening to the employees to see, and they at least you know talked the talk. I, I'm not sure how much they actually walked the walk, but they talked the talk about about that kind of stuff. And it seemed to me like they had you know plans to fix things and change things. So there's a lot of companies, though, that don't even do that. <laughs> they don't even do that. And they probably have no idea. Like, you ever heard of the uh, iceberg of ignorance? You ever heard of that? I think so. I think so. Yeah, I've it's heard a lot of it's iceberg like, metaphors. Yeah, well, so the iceberg of ignorance is is basically, and I don't know the exact numbers, but there's a lot of research that's been done on this, and, and I think this was in a long time ago. I actually guessed on my other podcast, Thomas Wilson was the one who, I had never heard of this before, but he was telling me about it. Basically, um, if you think about the levels, there's the CEO, there's the executives, there's the, you know, or the middle managers, there's the team leads, and then the peons on the ground. And basically, the idea is that at the top, the people at the very top know, I think it's something like 7% of the actual problems happening on the ground. The middle managers know about like 20 or 30, the the team leads know about 60 or 70, and then the people on the bottom know like 100%. And in order for that iceberg to like flip or whatever, I guess I don't know how you would melt the iceberg. I guess that's the best thing to say. In order to like get it to where the people at the top know, there has to be incentive for it to be reported up. And very often (laughs) there's a disincentive for people to speak up. Either at the very least, nothing changes and you feel like, what's the point? Or at worst, you're actually actively punished, which happens a lot, for speaking up. You know, you're, you don't get the promotions or you don't get the budget or you don't, whatever because the CEO or the executives didn't like what you had to say, which happens a lot, which again, you know, obviously a leadership problem. So I don't know. I'm not really sure. Yeah. I mean, it's just kind of kind of one of those you know, things like. You know, it's fine. It's funny. Crap. We've talked about this before, but there's like a lot of times there's leadership problems, uh, one-ply problems in the middle. But the actual like top leader like is right on, knows his stuff. Maybe doesn't have a still has that ignorance, but like the vision is good, and then the vision is garbage, and then the and then underneath it though there are people who are working trying to work really hard to deliver, or whatever it is. And I, I thought about this before, and I was like, if only the people at the bottom could get their ideas to the top, and in a way that allowed them to be vetted and allowed them to be and i thought of this application idea actually called smoke signals and what you, you do telling is this on the air derek this is something we could be building making millions of dollars you only got to tell everybody our, our secret plans to be 
Rich, All right, I'm not going to say another word. Exit found. We'll talk. We'll talk about it later. <laughs> I'm just no, uh, me, I can, I'm I'm I can give it. Yeah, let me. Let me. Let me. So you, you can hear. It. Yeah, you, you. You can steal it all you want. I don't care. Um, oh, five. So Doug, the Doug idea, Doug the idea is that go build this. you log in. <laughs> you log in. You're you in your organization. You start saying things that are wrong, mm-hmm. or that are going on, and they bubble up. The smoke thing. It goes. It's like a, imagine a little animation of smoke, boop, 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 and it goes into mm-hmm. the next stratosphere, and all the people that are in that stratosphere. All the managers, they see those things. They can't create them, though. All they can do is bubble up ones that they think should go to the next level. And the next level, they bubble those up. So you you keep, you keep, and you get points. If your thing gets all the way to the top, then your next thing comes up with a higher gravitas, you know? Mm. You got one all the way to the top, you know? And you can vote other people's things. So it's like a... It's a potentially like uh, uh, democratizing a non-democratized system, you know. Yeah, dude. Just be I kind of a that. cool thing. So anyway, smoke signals. I love that. Yeah, and and it's funny because there's there's stuff like that now. It's not built by the company, but there's apps like Blind. I don't know if you ever heard of Blind. And a lot I of have heard of Blind. They're for fang companies, though. It's like you know, it's for com- people to go in and complain. But a lot of time, people are complaining. Uh, very rarely is anybody leaving like super positive reviews, although some people are. Um, but anyway, uh, the idea is that people can go leave stuff and like reviews and comments and things like that. And if you're a really good executive at some of these companies, you better be on that damn app, like seeing what people have to say. <laughs> you know, I'm willing to bet most people, most executives probably aren't. Or if they are, they pretend like they're not or they pretend like they didn't see it because, you know, the sort of ostrich, ostrich effect, like you can put your head in the sand and like pretend like nothing's happening and just go about your day and, and you still get paid and why does it matter? So, right. you know, I don't know, man. It's it's interesting. I, I love that idea. That could be like a cool like internal app that like to bubble stuff up. But, you know, I mean, there's there's apps that like, you know, like Yammer, for instance, where people can go post stuff. It's like but then again, like when you post that, it's it's public and it's everybody can see who you are and. You know, there's a level of of self uh, of uh, self censoring where I don't want to say stuff because I'm gonna be I'm gonna look like I'm whining or I'm gonna look like I'm complaining or I'm gonna look like I'm bashing the the, the boss or you know I'm gonna look like I'm going against the team and I don't want to seem like a contrarian. You know, I I still got to get my promotion and my raise and everything else. Um, so you know that kind of stuff. If it was anonymous, dude, that'd be great. And then that way, you know, nobody could see who you are. Um, certainly, there people would be maybe. Kind of well, I mean, think about it. it's a lot scarier. Part. It's not scarier for you to go up to the CEO and say, "Hey, this I have this problem with this this this, this process." But what if you and every single person you work with goes to him? It's less scary. Yeah, right. So if you could somehow illustrate that, I mean, Twitter tries to do it with, "Oh, this thing has a million likes. Maybe LeBron James will comment on it." You know, but it doesn't. It's yeah. not the same thing because LeBron James does not have to make a change to his life and his organization. Based off the tweet, sometimes sometimes he does. Maybe yeah. Depends. You know what's funny? You mentioned like going to the CEO's office. I was reading this book. Um, I don't have it. I actually lent it to somebody. I never got it back. Uh, but it was called Influencer: The New Science of Leading Change. And it sounds like it's talking about social media, but it was not that at all. It was about how do people with very little actual power influence larger organizations, larger teams, society at large, whatever? Right. And they use this example in the book of a CEO who was insisting that like they wanted to change their company. They didn't like how their company was being run. They wanted to change it. And it was three or four 
PhDs that wrote this book, and they they were all part of a consulting agency that would help change you know um, change management or uh, transformation at at big large organizations. And the first thing they said was like, we went into your office. You had three different rooms with secretaries manning the doors. This like giant like hallway that you had to walk down. <laughs> you know, it was just like so intimidating. Like, do you think anyone is going to walk into your office and just drop drop a drop in and say, "Hey, I got a problem. Let me talk." No, it's like you you were felt like you were walking in like the Wizard of Oz. And you're like looking around, like, yes. "Oh my god!" You know, it's like nobody did that. So they they got him to basically change his office layout, and he actually got a desk down on the on the floor with a bunch of other people, and he was there. And so people felt like they could just go up and talk to him, you know. People felt like they that he was just one of the one of the team or whatever. It felt more. It felt more flat. It wasn't. Yeah. A, it wasn't a democracy, but it felt flat. I hear you. Versus this sort of authoritarian like CEO in his lofty corner office with rich mahogany, and you can't go in this. What are you doing on this floor? You know that kind of stuff. Um, and and when they did that, they were able to get more. You know, people kind of feeling like they felt like they could bring stuff up. They felt like. speaking up would actually change something, you know, and then they started to see change that way. So like, I guess my point here is like, if you're a leader (laughs) and you're seeing that your team is building one ply toilet paper and you can't figure out how to get them to do it, be more involved, like get, figure it out. You know, like it's you telling the team to go and build better stuff is never going to get them to build better stuff. You know, you've got to like actively be a part of that thing and get down there in the weeds and sort of help them change. If that's really what you want, you know, trying to like mandate it from like all hands where no one can can ask anything and it's just like you being recorded and basically blasted to your team that's nobody's going to listen nobody's going to care you know that's not going to get people to like want to build better stuff you know so anyway i don't know that's something i've been thinking about it's crazy i love it execs man i love it what is uh what do we normally say we got here Derek? <laughs> make sure um, to check us out at retrotimepodcast.com yeah. Uh, if we have stickers, you can get yourself a sticker at retrotimepodcast.com slash stickers. I think we are out of the Retro Time logo stickers, unless you happen to have some laying around somewhere. I, I got I don't some think laying I around. Any. I could bring them to Do you. you. Okay. Yeah. I don't think I have any, uh, I don't think I have any stickers. I have some of the, the Goiko, uh, Retro Time Peak Software <laughs> shit stickers. Um, whenever somebody that. gets a Beyond I love that sticker, guy I so them, much. I send them a, uh, a, a, a Peak Software shit sticker. So that's always fun. That was one of our best guests. That was. He said I, he'd come I, back. Yeah, we just <laughs> we just need to record. <laughs> we just need yeah, to, I know. We need just need to get to in there. Uh, yeah, Goiko's great, man. I actually follow him on LinkedIn. He's he's doing a lot of stuff. Uh, I don't know if you remember, but when he um, when he was on, he talked about a new thing he had just built and just released um, that Narakeet that lets you create uh, uh, that lets you create like narrations in any yeah. language using AI. Yeah. And has all these different uh, languages and voices that you could use. You just type and it'll just sort of record, but it sounds like it's the actual person talking. Uh, right. Anyway, he's still doing that, and uh, Narakeet's doing pretty well, man. Right on. So, that's always fun. Uh, all right, Derek. Well, that's it, man. RetroTimePodcast.com. Stickers. Uh, check out the show notes. RetroTimePodcast.com. And uh, tell, tell your mom in that. All right, Derek, some little birdie told me that you had found a cache of songs that you wrote. I did. Almost exactly 20 years ago. <laughs> I did. And before we get out of here, I don't have too much longer, but I, I want to hear, hear some of these songs, Derek. 
All right. I realize 